Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host, Philip Fleming, Warden of Cranmer Hall, and it's my privilege to bring to you some of the most interesting theological thinkers today. If you enjoy Talking Theology, do subscribe at your favourite podcast provider. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Talking Theo and share on social media. Thank you for listening. Now, on to today's episode. How do we connect scripture with living faithfully in the world? What are the habits that help the church listen to the voice of God together? What happens when we read the Bible with those who are different to us? And what does it mean to grow in expectation that we will hear God today? Welcome to this episode of Talking Theology. In today's show, I'll be talking to the Reverend Dr. Helen Collins. Helen is currently Tutor in Practical Theology and Director of Formation at Trinity College of Bristol. She recently published Reordering Theological Reflection, Starting with Scripture. So our title today is, How Does Scripture Speak Into Everyday Life? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Helen Collins, welcome to Talking Theology. Oh, thank you very much. I'm delighted to be asked and to be here. Helen, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey to your current role and and what that role at Trinity Bristol involves. So yeah, I'm currently um, Director of Formation and Tutor in Practical Theology at Trinity College in Bristol. Uh, This is my fourth year in the role and I oversee the practical training for all of the ordinands and um, the formation um, of their time, yeah, training for ordained ministry particularly. Um, and do various bits of teaching, writing. I'm also involved in my local church. I'm uh, leading a Zoom family church service at the minute, so very much like living some of the realities of what it means to train for ministry in the contemporary context. Fantastic. And has that been a journey into theological education that's always been a sort of passion of yours, or or how did that sort of first begin to uh, find its roots in your life? Yeah, so I I studied theology at university. I trained to be a teacher. I went on to do an MA. Um, So when I trained for ordination, I had the privilege of being able to start um, PhD study, not really with a view to being involved in education, but my background in teaching probably made it inevitable. Immediately prior to this role, I was the diocesan director of ordinance for Bristol Diocese. So I had a role in nurturing vocations at the beginning of the process. Um, and so now it's a real privilege to kind of be more focused on that next stage. And yeah, huge delight and joy. Such a significant part of journeying with people. Helen, a lot of your work as a theologian has involved a particular interest in the exercise that we call theological reflection. It's a word that's which is a term that's used quite a lot, but sometimes we're not exactly clear what it means. Is Can you just tell us what theological reflection is and and in particular where your interest in the topic first came from? Yeah great question so um, I'm always asked even after having taught a class on it so what is this thing we call theological reflection and I think there are various ways we might define it which sometimes adds to why there might be this kind of confusion so I think for me broadly it would be about seeking to engage the resources of the Christian tradition with the contemporary life of faith. Some might articulate this as seeking for the kind of authentic integration between beliefs and practices. 
particularly in terms of how our beliefs might inform our everyday life? How do our everyday living as Christians in the world embody or even subvert our beliefs? And I often contrast this with essays for students. So when you write an essay, you're weighing up different arguments and concepts and ideas, and you can afford to conclude, ah, they all have their merits, and I need to do further reading. Whereas theological reflection is maybe more focused on taking those ideas and dealing with people, with contexts, with decisions, with actions that have real world consequences. And so I would particularly, in that kind of wider sphere of beliefs, practices, theory, I'd want to define it particularly in terms of the role of the Holy Spirit. So how do we discern what Jesus Christ by the Spirit is doing in the world today, now, in order that we might participate in it faithfully? So that's kind of how I would seek to define what it is. My interest in it kind of came through various strands. So I was once upon a time a student at a theological college being taught theological reflection where we would kind of sit in these sometimes artificial seeming discussion groups to talk about different issues and try and apply our skills of exegesis of reading the Bible and trying to understand it. Alongside this, I was doing my PhD in practical theology. So I was kind of reading really deeply about method and feeling overwhelmed by that. And then as a as a curate, I was in ministry and I was praying and reading the Bible with a ministry team week by week and saying, like, what is God doing here and how do we join in? And somehow those three things kind of coalesced around this. I didn't set out to be some kind of writer on theological reflection, but um, I now find myself trying to train other students in doing it well. And so how do we think about method, how do we bring the resources of our other theological sub-disciplines to bear on our lives of faith? And how do we do that in the context of church ministry? So yeah, how do we live faithfully as Christians? And what part do our contemporary lives and our faith experience have to contribute to that process of discerning what faithful Christian living means and looks like? So theological reflection you've described is is not just about method, but is meant to have an outcome. It's meant to help us answer that question. How do we live faithfully as Christians and, and take that on? But I know it does involve method. And, and I know there are a whole range of methods out there. And when you look at the methods, and they've often got sort of pictures associated with them, haven't they? Often with circles or sort of lines and going in various directions, it can look really complicated as if you've got to know the method and you've got to follow every step of that method in order to do it properly. Why do you think it, theological reflection, although it sounds very technical, is actually something that every Christian should be doing? Yeah, definitely. I think it's pretty ironic that what I've just outlined in terms of being focused on ordinary life and practices in the church seems so specialist. And people can often think that it's just about learning these different models. So I would I would want to say this isn't just something that Christians, all Christians can and should do. It's something that Christians are already doing. You know, in our churches, we're already reading our Bibles, worshipping, asking questions such as what then should we do or how then should we live in light of the gospel? Like that is what we mean by theological reflection. How do we discern the work of God in our contemporary lives? And how do we live in light of what we know about scripture and tradition? So I would say that all Christians are engaged in this process. 
theological reflection is trying to give a kind of foundation and a framework to that process, which can often be kind of done instinctively or in a kind of individualized way. So moving from a more ad hoc, oh, I've got a big decision in my life to make, or there's a big crisis happening, what should we do? Trying to see it more as a habit or a spiritual discipline that creates a framework for bringing in other voices, a wider range of sources. It's something that we do together as the church. It's not just me making decisions about my own life. So I think, yeah, I think all Christians already are doing it. They just might be doing it with varying degrees of habit and and discipline. You've used that word habit and uh, as a spiritual discipline. So therefore, it's something that is part of an ongoing life for the Christian. Nevertheless, in your most recent book, Reordering Theological Reflection, you've proposed quite a new approach to doing this habit, this spiritual discipline that we call theological reflection. Just give us the background to to why you thought it was necessary to challenge some of the existing approaches and, and just briefly outline what your new approach involves. Thank you. So one of my particular bugbears, I guess, is uh, within the role I have would be that former student, well-meaning, lovely former students would say, oh, how come you never taught us this at Theological College? As if minister or the preparation for ministry can be compared to um, plumbing, where there's a handbook that just, you know, you prepare for all of the water plumbing emergencies, and you just learn the handbook and you apply it in different settings. And then you have up regular updates when the technology improves. We would say ministry doesn't, there is no handbook, like we don't know what you will face in a year, two years, 10 years time in ministry. So how can we teach you to improvise faithfully within the tradition that we have sought to teach you which is why the habit and the discipline um, is so important and so I tend to liken it with my students to kind of it's a bit like learning maneuvers so when you're driving you learn how to do a three-point turn you learn how to parallel park you learn how to reverse round a corner and there, there are kind of standard ways that you learn that maneuver then when you're out there driving in the world the assumption is you take those skills but you have to improvise because every corner and every parking space is different my parallel parking is terrible so it's uh, not a great analogy but I did learn the theory and then trying to kind of apply that I think what I found with the students I was working with was that it was as if they'd been driving for years you know making illegal U-turns and doing all sorts of ways of getting around corners and trying to find ways to park with varying degrees of training. And then they'd come to college and it was like we were putting them in a left-hand drive car. Is that the right? I always get confused. Do we have right-hand drive cars in the UK? Yeah. (laughs) They like putting them in a left-hand drive car and suddenly trying to teach them to drive. And it just felt to many of our students completely alien to suddenly be um, disconnected from their familiar ways and methods of driving. And there's benefit in that to kind of suddenly having to rethink everything that you do. But there was a sense in which while I'm at college, I'll drive this car. But as soon as I'm back out in the world, I'll go back to driving the way I used to. And so I was looking for a method that would be more like the ways in which they'd learned to improvise their driving prior to their lessons around the 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 streets of their parishes and yeah to to give a kind of structure to that that was more instinctive and familiar I think so that was what led to the development of a method that was about beginning with the bible these students were already coming to us having spent years reading the bible and trying to apply it to their contemporary lives and find ways of 
discerning what God is doing and living faithfully. So that was the background of where the method came from. And was it your sense, Helen, that, that and I think you sort of make mention of this in the book, that the sort of prevailing methods, the kind of the left-hand drive version of the teaching, had a place for the Bible that was often sort of minimal or squeezed in or ways that you just thought, mm, not sure that's the best use of the text or indeed the way in which people have grown up using text. Is that fair? Yeah. When I used to do it as a student, we'd have a great time talking about different critical incidents or things that had you know, happened in the parish that had particularly bothered us. But when it came to saying, well, what does the Bible say about this? It was as if we'd already decided what the issues and the questions were. And we were just looking to, this, to the Bible for answers or insights about the predetermined issues that we'd set. And I had certainly been more formed in an evangelical tradition that was that would at least attempt to say, well, let's begin, what, what does the Bible say about this? And how then do we um, engage with that in not just a straightforward application way, but as a kind of, as an act of faith, really going to the Bible as a first move. So your habit or spiritual discipline that you describe involves starting with scripture. Can you take us through the kind of the other elements of that habit or that spiritual discipline of, of theological reflection and what it means to kind of connect scripture to, as you say, how to live faithfully as Christians? Yeah, so I often get a lot of questions around, yeah, but, you know, we're all situated in our context. We all have our stories and our lives. Like, And I, you know, I'm not trying to say there's this sort of pure starting point in the Bible, but I call it, yeah, this hermeneutic of faith, this kind of starting point that says, I don't even know the questions necessarily. I think I do. But if I'm trying to discern the work of God in the world, the key questions are, well, who is God and how does God work in the world? And the Bible being the place that the church historically has gone and said, this is the place where we encounter the word of God generation after generation. This is the trustworthy place where we hear who God is and how God works in the world. And so let's begin there. Let's pause our own questions and circumstances. And let's begin by allowing our lenses, I guess, to be um, reorientated according to, to who God is and how God works in the world. And so we read the Bible prayerfully, humbly, expectantly. We read it with others. And then um, we would seek to engage with our testimonies. So as we read, what is coming out? This, I mean, partly this is just kind of your old fashioned classic Bible study. Like, let's read the Bible together and then let's just see how does it how does the spirit enable it to make connections in our lives? If the spirit is inspiring both the writing and our reading of the text, that's the same spirit that's at work in our lives. How How is it coming alive to us? And why is it coming alive in those ways? Why am I resonating with this particular passage in this way? Why am I asking these questions about this character? Why am I seeing this that I never saw before? And asking that question, how, why am I reading it in this way? And allowing, again, the spirit to kind of lead, uh, to bring up testimonies of what is happening in our lives, but they're raised by the text rather than us raising them and bringing them to the text. This may be only a subtle distinction, but it seems to make quite a big difference in how we then understand what it is that we're doing. And so then from those testimonies, we then engage in a process of discernment to say, okay, we don't want to make these kind of simplistic connections or applications. How can we be good, faithful readers of the text? How can we use our skills of exegesis and hermeneutics you know our commentaries and our historical critical method and all the different ways in which we're taught our linguistic skills if we're engaging with that 
How can we draw in those insights? How can we hear other people's testimonies? And how do they diversify the ways in which we read? How do they make it more complex? And all with the purpose of trying to encounter Jesus Christ by the Spirit as revealed in the text and at work in the world. So how is the Spirit bringing a sense of coherence with the work of Jesus such that we might then participate? What are we going to do? Which isn't just our own initiated action, but it's about seeing that Jesus is already at work by the Spirit and we seek to discern how we best participate with that. Fantastic. You make clear that, Helen, that's something to be done with others rather than on your own. Why does that make such a difference in terms of answering that question, how do we live faithfully today? I think the approach can be done personally and in a kind of individualised way. But the necessity of hearing the voice of others, because we, you know, how other people read the text differently, other people have different life experiences, other people are encountering the ministry of Christ in their own locations. And discernment is always corporate, is always by the church and for the church. And so the necessity of reading with diverse others to be aware of our own locatedness, our own prejudices, our own biases when it comes to reading the text. Those others are also academic, historical others, the books that we might read that help us understand the text. But those who might be marginalised in our community, um, how is how is Jesus at work there and how does the scriptures shed light on that and complexify that and maybe challenge our understandings of what that means. Particularly some of the, the challenges that I've, I've encountered over the years with people who start reading the Bible is that the world of the Bible can feel very far removed from their experience of the world or their experience of daily discipleship. You know, how do I handle Twitter? Well, you know, there's not a lot of evidence of Twitter in the Bible. You know, what does it mean to do that faithfully sort of thing? What would you say about that? gap between the world of the Bible and the world today and how this model that you've described might help us make those connections? I would say primarily it's about trusting the agency of God, the work of the Spirit, the the fact that God is alive and active and wants to be in relationship with us. And so we we read the Bible in a relationship of trust that actually it is a living word through the spirit. And so I'm reading through Leviticus at the minute in my Bible in a year reading. And I've been really struck by the kind of brutal physicality and the stench and the noise and the mess of Old Testament priestly ministry. This kind of constantly surrounded by animal carcasses in these pristine clothes. I'm not like I'm not reading it for insights into priestly ministry. I'm just struck afresh anew by what is the strange world of the Levitical priestly codes, but actually seeing really strong resonances with priestly ministry of those around me where the mess and the sometimes brutal um, emotional realities of ministry and the kind of physicality of that and the impact of that on contemporary ministers and and the pain and the mess and the noise in a very different way. And so this isn't a fully worked out spiritual cycle process yet, but I'm in the, I can see strong connections between my testimonies of Jesus at work in the world and asking questions about, so what is holiness? What does a contemporary priestly ministry look like? How might Leviticus have some insights for us about holiness and and ministry in those ways. 
So I think it would be about trusting that God can and does speak to us in surprising ways and not seeking to predetermine that. I think one of my one of the challenges I see with the other methods is it relies on a knowledge of the Bible to know where to go. So if you're asking, how do I engage faithfully with Twitter? You need to know which bits of the Bible might be relevant for you to go to, but it doesn't necessarily nurture greater understanding and knowledge of the whole of Scripture. Whereas an approach that says, let's just start reading the Bible and see where the Spirit leads us. You know, I wouldn't have gone to Leviticus for insights about what my own priestly ministry might look like today. But the Spirit is bringing up some interesting stuff that I'm still wrestling with and working through um, that might have implications for how I then engage in social media or what I then say. But those are kind of outcomes rather than initiators of a process. God might lead me to think more about my social media engagement through my reading. But it might lead me in a totally different direction that I had overlooked and ignored. And that's, again, where hearing and discerning the spirit through one another becomes central to the process. You highlighted earlier the five stages of of the process you described, which is starting with the Bible, starting with scripture, hearing testimony, discerning with others, encountering those different voices, then participating, actually kind of getting joining in the mission of God. I wonder if you could give just perhaps one or two examples of, of, of what that's looked like in, in real life for you. You've given us a, a bit of a hint in something that's already speaking to you at the moment in terms of reading Leviticus, but could you just kind of take us through what this might look like in practice using some examples from your own experience? Yeah, so um, a couple of weeks ago in a Bible study that I uh, lead in my church, we're looking at Ephesians. We were on Ephesians 2. So we just began by trying to understand, okay, well, who was Paul? Where was Paul? You know, what? how is Ephesians written? What is this trying to say? Paul writing about the unity um, in Christ. And within the second chapter, breaking down the walls of hostility, creating a new family out of Jew and Gentile. And we, we began to kind of think about what it means to love our nearest and dearest in a way that in the family of Christ, we come to love everybody. So the way I currently feel about my brothers and sisters and children and spouse is how Jesus's vision for this new community, how I would come to feel about all members of the church, all of my Christian brothers and sisters. And so this was just then a really, you know, what does it mean to be the family of the church? And so we began to share our testimonies of, well, how have we experienced our current church? Does it feel like this kind of family that Paul seems to be describing? How has lockdown changed how we have felt united um, to our church? What about the proliferation of services? And, you know, those kind of testimonies came out in terms of thinking about what does it mean to be this recreated one family? And so then as we moved into the discernment phase, we weren't kind of strictly following, but these were just different. Um, It's supposed to give a loose structure rather than being kind of like a, a straight jacket. We began to think about, well, who are those who are excluded from the family? Where does the wall of hostility still exist within our own contemporary churches or within our own communities? How are older people and younger people integrated into that family? We began to ask questions about how different cultures would express what Christianity even looks like. So for UKME uh, members of our church, how does a kind of standard white Christianity expect 
conforming to a particular norm rather than recognizing that there kind of is no longer a a norm. The, The Gentiles weren't to be subsumed into a Jewish culture. The wall of hostility was broken down so that together they could work out what does it look like to live faithfully as Christians. It doesn't mean you become like us and it doesn't mean we become like you. It means together within our differences, we get to look at one another and say, you love Christ and I love Christ. How are we one family given our huge differences? And so again, we were looking at that in terms of, we were thinking, how would other members of our church express or understand this? And so then what's the point of this reflection? How are we encountering Jesus by talking about the the walls of hostility in our church and what Paul might have to say to the Ephesians and how that might relate to us? And we were thinking about the you know, we're, how are we encountering Christ through his ministry of reconciliation? How is that happening in our church right now? How, how are we agents of um, bringing down those walls of hostility? How are we recognizing Christ in the other? How are we encountering Christ in the other um, and celebrating that? And if Christ is at work bringing reconciliation into our context through breaking down these walls and using us as agents of that, how are we going to How are we going to join in? How are we going to plan our next, our Good Friday service, thinking about these themes of not allowing just the young people to have their way or the questions of other groups that might particularly want to dominate? You've painted a picture, Helen, of starting with scripture as part of a regular discipline of corporate or shared Bible reading, therefore, rather than seeing the Bible as the kind of answer or manual that we go to when we've got a problem. How does this speak to us about how we might put in place our own personal and corporate disciplines about engaging with the Bible as part of our regular pattern of Christian discipleship? I think the method works particularly well in home group settings, in ministry team settings, in theological college tutor group settings. Um, But I think I've had some interesting experiences of working with a, a more diverse faith group and kind of saying, well, let's read, even read one another's scriptures, or let's read this passage of the Bible. I've had some really interesting insights from people who wouldn't count themselves as Christians, but about reading with diverse others, but starting with how does this speak to us? What does this have to say to us? How does this relate to our lives? But I would, so I think it can be used beyond the context of the church, but I think very particularly it's about gathering with other Christians and ideally a diverse group of Christians, not just people that think like us. And it's about growing in love and confidence of the Bible. I think my one prayer and hope for the church would be just a deepening of love for the scriptures that have shaped and formed the church through the previous 20 centuries and hopefully into the the next So as we engage in these habits, it's not just about what does this mean to me? It's also and how what has this meant to the church historically and globally? And how can we better equip and inform ourselves to be informed and um, responsible readers of the text? Would that all Christians would be in a study group where they're regularly reading the Bible for just a desire to hear and know more of God and that it might lead them into deeper study? for the sake of faithful participation in the world. More, Lord. You you spoke earlier about reading the Bible in a relationship of trust. And and you've talked about your hope and prayer there, that that there will be an increasing love for the Bible as the way in which God has spoken to his church over 20 centuries and, and into the future. It may be in that area or something else, but how has this journey for you of 
of exploring the technical world of theological reflection, spoken to your own discipleship, your own love for the scriptures, your own walk with the Lord? I think, yeah, I'm aware that in speaking about trusting the scriptures, there are many people for whom the scriptures have been used in different ways that have been harmful or upsetting or different passages that have been used against people. And my hope would be that actually this model would enable deeper engagement with those questions. At Trinity, at the minute, we're going through a Lenten series on looking at women in the New Testament. And we're engaging with the particularly challenging passages and using all the kind of Greek insights and exegesis work that various colleagues are doing really well, alongside testimonies of how these passages have been harmful for women. But actually, as we read them in community, and understanding the wider context, I have been finding it really liberating, actually, because the Bible witnesses to the liberating God in Christ who speaks. I think that role of the Holy Spirit in interpretation um, has been is central to what it means to read the Bible. And so definitely the, the Bible is often a site of, of pain and struggle for many people. But my experience of wrestling with my own struggles with the Bible has been actually when I the deeper I go in understanding the text, the more I encounter the God in Jesus Christ to whom the scriptures give witness and the more freedom and joy I'm able to find in, in living faithfully in response. Helen Collins, thank you very much indeed for appearing on Talking Theology. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cranmahal is a theological college within St. John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com.